Hey y'all, I'm Tori and welcome to the Ebony Expats podcast, where we're going to explore the journey and stories of different travelers and expats out here killing it, doing their thing abroad and living their best lives, y'all. Okay, so on this episode, I got to sit with the amazing Amber Aziza in person in Bangkok. It was our very first time meeting, but we had actually been friends on Instagram for a bit, just connecting and supporting each other. The whole finding black girl magic, women out here just killing it, doing their thing, and you just wanna support them because they're so dope. That's how I felt about Amber. She's an entrepreneur, a millennial expert, consultant, founder and CEO of Amber Aziza Enterprises, which has over seven subsidiaries. She was also named as a female entrepreneur to follow by Huffington Post, and she sold her first multi-million dollar business before turning 30. Like, come on y'all, all around badass. So during her time in Bangkok, I got to sit and chat with her about her expat and entrepreneur journey. And she also stopped at a workshop for us and gave us some um, good gems for our Ebony Expat community in Bangkok about monetizing your business, growing your audience, things like that. And it was really inspiring, very good. And on the episode, we're talking about doing things that allow us to aim to live a life that we love. And within that includes knowing what you like, what you don't like, outsourcing things that are taking way too much of your time, and just like letting shit go, y'all. There's so much in here that she talks about, so much good stuff. I hope it's educational, I hope it's inspiring, I hope it gets your wheel spinning. Let's continue the conversation on Instagram at Tori Talks or at Amber underscore Aziza. Follow us on Instagram at Ebony Expats and subscribe to our podcast. I'm enjoying chatting with you guys and being able to share and just inspire everyone. Cause like, don't forget, like you could do whatever you want to do. Like I, I truly believe that like anything you want, you can have. And that's also something that Amber talks on in our episode. If you want it, go get it. So let's get into it, you guys. So today I'm sitting here with Amber live in Bangkok. Actually, that's like really exciting because you've been like all over the past few months. <laughs> <laughs> like every time I look at your Instagram, you're like somewhere new. I'm like, ooh, where are you this time? <laughs> I love that. And then you were just like at BYOB Live. I was. That yes, was good. Yes. I love watching those clips. Like you're so empowering. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love it. I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. We're sitting here live in Bangkok. You are here for a few days, then going out to Chiang Mai. Yeah. That's nice. I'm so excited to talk to you in person. You're really dope. Um, yeah. I'm just excited to hear your story. So start off by telling me your, you know, like your professional career and where it has taken you and how it's led you to living here overseas yeah so i i started in corporate this is like a big thing that a lot of people that used to be kind of like my story was like amber was in corporate and then left corporate and then like as i built the businesses the corporate part wasn't as prevalent anymore and so now people who have followed me in the last couple of years are like why do you work corporate and i'm like yeah that's how i started yeah um but i spent eight years as an executive in the corporate space uh, organizational development so people side of the business um, working for big major corporations and I was really good at what I did and I loved what I did I was not one of those people who hated Mondays I loved Mondays I would work 68 hour weeks and not even think twice about it because I loved what I did so much 
And I ended up working for a privately held company and the owner of the company um, came in one day for a meeting with all the execs. And granted, as an executive at the time, I was 25. Oh, wow. I was the only brown person. Okay. The only woman. And the youngest by like 30 years. And so, as you can imagine, it was a very interesting work environment for me. I'm sure. (laughs) So the owner of the company comes in and he says, you know, I know we've given Amber a lot of pushback on a lot of the things that we've, she's wanted to change, but as a result of those changes, we are out of the red, we're in the black, and everyone's going to get their bonuses. So we're all excited, and I'm really excited, because right. the petty in me wanted to be like, uh-huh, me, <laughs> you, 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 I told yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. I kept it classy. Because <laughs> I already knew anyway. They right, looked at you like, damn, they had that this brown girl, right. cutting the hair, <laughs> running shit. Exactly. <laughs> Basically. So, um, as we're packing up, the owner comes over to me and he says, you know, well, what are you going to do with your bonus check? So it's going to be like a $35,000 check. Okay. So I say, I'm going to buy a Tesla. Like, I just, I want a Tesla. I'm going to buy a Tesla. And he's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I jokingly say to him, because, you know, he's the owner, I say, oh, what are you going to do with your bonus check? Thinking you wouldn't get a bonus check because you own the company. Like, you get all the profits. You don't need a bonus uh-huh. on top of that. Uh-huh. And he said, well, you know, we bought an island last month. So I think we're going to buy another boat just to match, you know, the island. And I started to chuckle until he's pulling out his phone to show me pictures of this island that he just purchased. So a couple things ran through my mind. The first was, I didn't know you could buy an island. I didn't know people could just roll up and be like, that one, I want that one. Yeah, like like, like a car. (laughs) And the second was, he's never there. He was never at the office and as an executive I had personal experience in that he was never available like you call him you email him and it would be three four five days for you hear back from him. oh wow and so I'm sitting there thinking you're here maybe one day every quarter I'm here every single day mm-hmm. working 60 80 hour weeks mm-hmm. to buy you an island and all I get out of this deal is a Tesla? Hold up. Hold up. Like, right. it was just all of the millennial ego mm-hmm. and, like, you know, everybody gets to trouble. All of that just rose in me, and I quit on the spot. Wow. Like, literally quit yeah, on the spot. I was like, I quit. And he was like, what? <clears throat> I was like, I, 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 I quit. Because I realized at that moment that I would never make what I felt like I was worth. I was always going to make what someone else determined my worth was. Right, right, right. And... It just didn't seem right. I mean, and you're talking about somebody who up to that point loved her job. I never complained. You know, I, I made a great salary. So for me, I've never questioned it until I saw kind of, it's like, you know, you know, you don't know what you know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what you don't know until you find it out. Right. And when I found it out, I was like, wait a minute, there are whole new levels to this. And I will never get to that level if I stay working for him. So... That's great. Yeah, yeah. Especially since uh, I didn't stay until the end of the year, which meant I didn't get my bonus. So oh. I don't recommend doing that part. <laughs> um, stay until you get the bonus, at least. Yeah. <laughs> so I quit, and um, I had no plan. Like, my original plan was, okay, maybe I'll just get another job. But then I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. You just quit because you aren't going to make your work. So going somewhere else isn't going to solve that. So I 
packed up all my stuff. I was living in Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee, packed up all my stuff and moved home with mom and dad um, because I had a very disposable income. I was making about 160K a year, but I was very disposing of it. My shoe game was unmatched. Lit. (laughs) Unmatched shoe game. Um, So for me, I I didn't have savings because, you know, I I was always going to be able to work if I had a job. And um, so I moved home with mom and dad and literally moved in the basement. And my dad, you know, being a black daddy was like, you got 365 days and then you got to get out of my house. (laughs) Like, figure it out. There you go. (laughs) But you know what, though? Actually, I would say that a lot of parents aren't as like stern like that like a lot of non-black families are like that i feel i feel like it's like non-black families you see a lot of people they'll say like hey you have like a year come in here work on your stuff you know try to build your business up Mm -hmm. you can stay here with us and then after a year like you have to go and it's like like that push that giving your children like this opportunity to say like you need to like literally go full farce on all of your dreams. Right. Like, I believe in you. Do it. Right. We don't really have that, I would say, like, in no. in our community. No. At no. all. Not at all. Like, you can go back and stay with mom because it's like, we, we always got you. Family has you. Right. But it's not like, come back. This is what you should do. Six months. Take some time off go full force on Ebony X Pastor. You know what I mean? It's right. not it's right. not like that. Well, you know, um, so people often be like, wow, like that's amazing that your parents are that supportive. They weren't. I told them I got laid off. <laughs> what you're not gonna do, what you're not gonna do is go to your daddy who was a cop and your mama who was a teacher and say to them, you know that degree y'all worked so hard for me to get <laughs> and that six figure career that I had, I just walked away from it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was not going to be a gotcha. conversation I was going to have with them. So I told them I got laid off. I just recently, maybe like a year ago, told them that I wasn't laid off. And my dad was like, what? What do you mean? Like, I still got the lecture. I was like, dang, I should have just told him back then. And he saw the results and still gave me the lecture. Right, um, right, right, right. But I told him I was laid off. And he's like, you've got a year. And his year was, in his mind, for you to get a new job. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, my dad had worked before he became top, he worked as a factory worker. So he understood, like, you know, layoffs happen. Yeah. I had to pick something that was, he yeah. could understand. Right. Because saying to him, Daddy, I want to work on my, my business, he, like you said. Well, they don't get that. Right. Yeah. Like, you work on your, your business out of your car. Because you bring it some type of money right. in. So, but, Sounds you know, funny. I'm really thankful for that period of time because... My um, my mom helped me get a laptop, and my dad helped me keep my car from being repossessed. Um, like it, it was just they understood struggle because you know they had lived it before, and yeah. so they didn't want me to go through that same struggle. Um, so in that year, because I knew he was very adamant about, I knew day three sixty five, he would have packed up all my stuff. But like, all right, girl, this is what's next. Get out. Yeah, um, figure it out. So I spent that year, I worked at a bridal salon with crazy, insane, over-the-top brides. And then at night would come home and work another eight to 10 hours on my business. Um, at the time, the business I was building was what I knew, which was organizational development. Mm. So consulting companies and helping them really bridge the gap between the corporate world and the millennial employees. Gotcha. So I built that up in six months. Um, I left on day 352. 
Cut <laughs> <laughs> it really close. Um, but I built that business into a seven-figure year business. Um, but it was burning me out. By year three, I was so exhausted. Really? It felt like this can't be it. Because I kept thinking about the owner who bought the island. I'm like, he's never there. Yeah. He's never there. And I know that was after like 15 years, but I was just like, at some point, there's got to be a point where I can mm-hmm. take a couple steps back. Right. So I prayed on it and I said, if this is what I'm supposed to do, I'll keep doing it. But if not, send me a sign, let me know something. And uh, three weeks later, I got a call from my lawyer and he said, hey, I just got an interesting call asking if you would be willing to sell the company. Uh-huh. And I said, I'm going to sell the company. My name's on the company. I'm not even like, I can not build it to sell it. Like, that's not, and I'm literally like, that's not what I said, God. I said, uh-huh. fine. I didn't say, like, <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, take a break. Like, uh-huh. but, um, I talked to my mentor about it and he said, you have been burnt out. You yeah. have been over it lately. So maybe this is what you need. And he said, but don't take the first offer. So I, you know, I think if there's any lesson I could get out of my first sell of my first company is get yourself a mentor who knows what the heck they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and who has been through the trajectory of business that you want to go through. Right. Um, and so he said, don't take the first offer. Don't take the second offer. Consider the third offer. I was just like, that seems like a lot of offers. Are they really going to make that many offers? That seems like a lot. Um, but they did. They made that many offers. Wow. They made three offers, and the third one was the one that I took. Um, and so I walked away, and I was going to retire. And I was told my parents about this. I took them to dinner. I was like, I'm going to retire. What's retirement life like? Like, I was ready. Like, talk to me about it. Tell me the, show me the ropes of retirement. And my dad was like, you're not retiring. You're 29. No one retires at 29. Um, and ever willing and needing to please my parents, I was just like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not retiring. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Um, and my dad said to me, he's like, you have an obligation to show other people of color how to do what you did. Mm. It was like, do you know how rare, like, you're an exception, you are not the rule. You need to show other people mm-hmm. how to navigate the rule. Mm-hmm. And... So I did. The first company I built focused on helping other entrepreneurs, mostly started off as my friends, um, and then grew from there. Um, And then I noticed that I just had a knack for being able to look at a business, hear the owner tell me what's going on, and tell them immediately what they need to fix and what needs to change. Um, And I call it my superpower. Mm -hmm. So um, the beauty of having that superpower is that I also now was able to rapidly build businesses and make them successful quickly. So accelerating them rapidly. Nice. And so from there, I built A Square Coach, which was a company that helped entrepreneurs. Um, and that became a lot. <laughs> we had a, a waiting list for a year. Whoa. And I said, that's way too much. People shouldn't have to wait for a year. And people were doing it. They're like, we'll give you a $1,500 deposit and then wait for a year and hope that you have the availability. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, no, that's crazy. So I brought on uh, a team of coaches to help with that part of it. I took a step back from the coaching and then I started rapidly building other businesses. I pulled my siblings um, from their fields that they were in and said, okay, great. You're a headhunter. You've been headhunting for 20 years. Awesome. We're going to build a recruitment firm. Mm. Like, okay, you've done collections for 20 years. Dope. We're going to build a collection agency for small businesses. Yeah. And so from there, we built seven businesses, eight businesses now, and a nonprofit. We now are a conglomerate. So now my spiel is that, you know, I'm CEO and founder of AE 
which is a conglomerate mm-hmm. of eight family-owned companies. Wow. So, yeah, we now have 80 employees in three, soon to be four countries. So, it's grown rapidly. That's beautiful. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Thank you. How old are you now? I am 33. I'll be 34 next month. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. That's really dope. Yeah. Wait, so wait, so that was only a few years ago. That was only a few years ago, yeah. We that were is crazy. Rapidly build our companies in the last four years to something just that I never even thought it would be. Yeah, I'm sure you, like, I'm sure, like, when you just sit and think about it, it still probably, like, blows your mind. It does. It yeah. definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, I'm sure it yeah. really does. Like, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize it was, like, that like I knew you were young still um, but like sitting here thinking like that was literally just a few years ago it was and you know what's funny is people often say like oh well what was the catalyst of you bringing your family into it like was it your dad's speech and I was like no I was at Christmas I was at you know the Christmas gathering with my family and my siblings and my parents and my grandparents and my sister and I were looking at Snapchat and we were looking at Kim Kardashian's Snapchat. Uh-huh. And they were having their annual Christmas party that same night. And I remember just this light bulb went off and it said, they have built their wealth mm-hmm. off of just relying on each other. Like yep. they literally in the family. just build and mm-hmm. stack on each other. Literally. And I was just like, light bulb, why don't I do that? Like I I know what I know what I don't know. Right. Yeah. And I know that there are areas that I could have never been able to build a business in because I wouldn't have known the actual uh, operation part of it. Right. So like recruitment, while I did focus on organization development and human resources and training, recruitment itself was never something that I had to do the whole process Mm -hmm. of. But my sister had done it for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, why don't I just start bringing them in and building the businesses that way right? and have the parent company be partial owners. It was just like everything clicked from watching a Kim Kardashian Snapchat. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I'm here for it because Kim K is actually like, I know like she gets like a bad rep, but honestly, like she has really built herself. Like if you look at her journey from where she was to like where she is, it's like she had a vision. She doesn't like, she doesn't. And then, what I really like about her is just like she doesn't care what like the haters are saying. No. It's not about like what other people are saying. Like she is literally just being herself. Exactly. Being herself and just like getting that money while she does it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like seeing the opportunity and taking advantage of it. And then of course having someone like Chris Jenner Listen, behind her. My goal in life is to meet Chris Jenner. So Chris, if you out there, girl, <laughs> hit me up. Chris. That is my goal in life. She's like the marketing genius yes. of marketing geniuses. Mm-hmm. Like she literally took it. People will say, oh, well, they had money. They had money. They didn't have money like that. No, they didn't. They weren't running no. in money like that. She literally took a, bit, a family yeah. and made it into a business yeah. that now has produced, you know, a billionaire and yes. an almost billionaire through Kim. Right. I mean, it's just like, they're unfuckwittable. Yeah. They just really are. Like, Thank you. Like, I'm just like, I don't know why people don't see that. It's like, we're so quick to, like, find the little stuff to talk about mm-hmm. around the coffee tables and at bars with our friends, like, uh, Kim K. But it's like, no. Ain't no, uh. Like, yeah. they have built, like you said, generational wealth. Generational wealth. And that's the big thing. And I think that's something that a lot of people who follow me 
follow me because I'm constantly talking about generational wealth. Uh-huh. Like, people will see me take my nieces to conferences and make them work the table. I'm not doing yep. that just because it's free labor. I mean, it is nice to have the free labor, but it's <laughs> mostly because I need them to see this is what it takes. Yes. You know, this is what it takes to build the brand and maintain the brand and right. grow it. Right. And, you know, this is our family legacy. Exactly. Um, and that's really important. My brother and I were actually discussing, I just brought him with me on my last two legs of my journey. Mm-hmm. And um, we were discussing of like who was from my nieces and nephews. Cause I don't have any little ones yet. Mm-hmm. So who from my nieces and nephews would be taking, you know, what role and what we would see them fit for? What should we start, you know, kind of grooming them, grooming for. them yeah. for? Yeah. And really smart. It's, it's amazing to me though, because 10 years ago, if you'd said this was the conversation that you were going to be having, I would have been like, I'm not going to work with my family. Yeah. 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 <laughs> start a nonprofit um and we need someone to be the chairman of that nonprofit and just be able to look at my oldest brother and say okay so you down okay cool go ahead like here you go nice it's been amazing and then it's kind of expanded out to my really close friends so if I have a friend has a dope idea I'm like okay great like we will fund it for you Mm -hmm. we will be co-owners in this Mm -hmm. and let's you know let's all get this money so yeah exactly I love that that's really smart I really, really love that. That's good. Um, yeah, so you, your brother's here in Bangkok right now. And how is he finding Bangkok? <laughs> <laughs> so I took him to London first with the thought that that would ease him. Because it was his first time out of the U.S. And so I thought oh. it would ease him into, you know, international travel. Which I think it, it eased him a bit. Because it was just like, oh, things aren't the same as they are in the U.S. Uh-huh. But then when he got to Bangkok, I was like, oh, maybe I should have added something between <laughs> Bangkok and London. Because Bangkok is a whole new, even just Bangkok itself, not even just Thailand, but Bangkok the city itself is can be a culture shock yeah like sure. it's busy it is fast-paced it is everything noise and and sounds and smells and smells it's just it's, the heat hits you yeah, like heat. literally like when you walk out of the airport the heat hits you Flash and like when you get to Sukhumvit, which is like the main road in Bangkok, the smell hits mm-hmm. you. There's like a very particular smell, especially in like the very central area, like Nana, Asok. It is such a like pungent scent. Yes. Like very unique, very like, it, is, it never goes away. Like you will still... It hits you every time. Every time, without fail. So strong. (laughs) And there's, like, there's so many things. It's, like, sensory overload. It really is. Um... So he's he's really been adjusting to that, but mm-hmm. he's loving it. Like he set, keeps repeating, like I never thought I'd see this part of the world. Like oh. I never thought, and it's it's amazing because my brother two years ago was in a coma. Oh, wow. um, he was in a coma off and on for like a year. Wow, and that was really what ignited in me the what are you doing with your life? Why are you just sitting at the time I was living in Washington DC and just flying back and forth to Ohio to check in on him? And I remember when he woke up. The first thing he said was, I had to start living my life. Ooh. And, you know, my brother was 45 mm-hmm. at the time. So it was like, start living your life. Like, and I remember flying home thinking, like, I'm so happy I'm already living my life. Like, I, I'm doing what I want to do. And that's mm-hmm. kind of my family's moniker for me is, is the the do what I want to do her. Like, you ain't going to make Amber do nothing that she don't want to do. Yeah. And yeah. she's not going to sacrifice doing what she wants to do uh-huh. <laughs> to or anyone else. Anybody else. Yeah, not that's happen. important. And um, 
So I got back to my apartment in DC. I had this beautiful, gorgeous, like eight street apartment. And I just realized, am I really doing what I want to do? Or am I doing what I feel like I'm supposed to do mm. as, you know, big time CEO of, mm-hmm. of this company? Mm-hmm. And all of our employees were remote. And we had offices, but they weren't offices that I ever really went to. Okay. So it was like, why am I just sitting here? Like, let me just, let me go somewhere. And so I booked a, a trip to Italy um, through uh, Travel Noir. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was one of their last trips before they were acquired by um, Black Gravity. And so I was like, I'm going to take this trip to Revella. It's going to be nice and relaxing and amazing. And as I started planning for the trip, a friend of mine who lived in London said, oh, girl, come to London. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because oh, at the time we didn't have a London office. Um, this is about two and a half, three years ago. Okay. And so I was like, oh, how far of a trip is that from Italy? Oh, what? It's only a couple hours? Okay, I'll come there. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll go to London for a week after that. Uh-huh. And then a friend who lived in Denmark was like, come to Denmark. And I was like, oh, how far is that? Oh, okay. I'll spend a week in Denmark. So uh-huh. I was like, okay, now this has gone from a two-week trip uh-huh. to a month out. Yeah. And so as I was telling a friend of mine, he was like, oh, you should just be a nomad. And at the time, I had no idea what that even meant. I was like, <laughs> what? Like a gypsy? I don't, like, what? Like, I, what? Excuse me? Like, <laughs> like, I like shoes. Right. I don't like, need to buy you, shoes. My closet? What am I supposed to do with it? Like, what? Like, what are I you can't talking about? I can't put stuff on my back. Like, what is that? Like, a backpacker? Like, right. that doesn't even seem comfortable. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, nothing about that sounded amazing. Um, and he said, let me connect you with my friend Justin. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So, he connected me with Justin Brown who is a celebrity trainer and Justin's living in Chiang Mai at the time. Okay. And I hopped on a Skype call with Justin. And he's like, oh, honey, let me tell you, it's amazing. He's like, it's life-changing. It is. Do it. He's like, even if you just do it for six months, just right. to get it out your system and see how it fits you. He's like, you know, you don't have to be a backpacker. He's like, you can put your stuff in suitcases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like my big concern. I didn't want to have to carry a backpack everywhere. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that, that is how I feel too, especially when I think about going to Europe because right. Europe is like, it is easy to get around to different countries, but like, I do not want to backpack exactly. everywhere. Exactly. I'm like, this is, that's not my life. No, not at all. <laughs> no. I'm sorry, I don't care. Right. That's just not me. No. I need my whole suitcase with all my stuff. Exactly. Like, <laughs> products. I need my makeup. I was about to say my makeup, like, my clothes. I need to put on a, I need a fedora. I need all right. different shoes. Like I need options. Yes. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm going to try this for six months. Mm-hmm. And that was the original thing. At the time, my lease was um, up for resigning. So I said, I'm not going to renew my lease. I'm going to put everything in storage for six months. And that gotcha. was two and a half years ago. Wow. So, and I had not looked back. Okay. <laughs> that is cool. So, um, we kind of touched about like lifestyle and mm-hmm. th- things like that. I feel like people think that when you move overseas, your lifestyle has to change and you have to like start like kind of dialing back. I mean, you mm-hmm. can choose that path, but I, what you're saying is like, you didn't have to, like you're still doing you. If anything, I dialed it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, Turn up. I went from like, Amber's kind of a bougie girl to no, no, she's legit straight up the bougiest person I've ever met. Love it. If you do it right, if you go to a country where the cost of living isn't as high as in the States, like mm-hmm. Thailand, you can really live like a straight baller mm-hmm. on so much less. In DC, I was paying $3,700 a month for my rent. That was not including utilities, cable, internet, none of that. Whoa. Bill, none of that. 
in in Chiang Mai, I have a two bedroom, two and a half bath penthouse that has maid service once a week, mm-hmm. and I'm paying like seven hundred and fifty dollars. Wow! And that's expensive. Yeah, that is. Like, it you is. You can't seven fifty, girl. Yeah. You know you can get like. I know. Oh, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> it's the same for me too. Like I live over in Asok and. When I first moved to Bangkok, I was paying like fifty five hundred baht, which was I guess that's like a hundred and fifty dollars. And now I'm paying like twenty, like around twenty three thousand. Mm-hmm. And like I'm like I am where I want to be. Right. And every time I tell someone that, like, oh my god, especially people in Shanghai, oh, and I'm not goodness. trying to be funny. Listen, I'm Shanghai not. Crew, y'all need to do better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, like, when I moved to, to Chiang Mai the first time, I was fortunate that I had a couple people there that I connected with immediately. They were yep. entrepreneurs, and they were yep. like, I'm not living, like, in somebody's basement in order to right. save money. It's not happening. No. Um, but then when they moved to other places, I was like, I'm just going to stay in Chiang Mai. But I really struggled to really connect and make friends with people after that because it was like everybody is living that backpacker lifestyle and mentality where it's like, oh, you could get this place for, like, 3,000 baht. Yeah. Like, yeah, but it's just, it's It's a room. room. <laughs> like, I don't want to live in a hotel room. Right. Like that's that, not what I'm doing. That's not, and, you know, you have to also understand your own level of comfort. Like, some people, that's that true. level of comfort is fine. That's they would true. be fine with that in the U.S. For me, I come from, like, a 1,500 square foot mm-hmm. apartment in D.C. I wasn't going to be able to go to, like, mm-hmm. a 300 square foot yeah. <laughs> studio in Chiang Mai yeah. and be like, this is living. No, right. it wasn't for me. Yeah. And so, yeah, Chiang Mai is, has a large community of people. A large community. Who have that mindset. It's, you know, no shade, no tea, but it, do same. better. Yeah, no, like, saying <laughs> I, I really, and, and that's something that's really important to touch on because I see a lot of people talking about, like, the like the benefit of moving to shame I look moving to these nomadic areas mm-hmm. where you can afford to get a nice place and and don't get me wrong like the nice the studios are nice they're livable they're they're right. not like it's not like it's not livable but you know that whole like trying to leave from the states which is great like you're leaving from the states or leaving from wherever you where you're living at and trying to like get out of this mindset and breaking the barriers that's beautiful mm-hmm. but then it's like i hate when i see people on these social media posts and like on these sites and stuff just like digital nomad life like oh shane my is great oh i'm saving this much money oh i'm doing this and it's just like then when i see you like you like you you're not that's because you're not re- right, able to do anything really you're not living yeah you're Where literally you're not living high tie every day yeah and you know and it's, it's it is what it is if your goal is moving to Chiang Mai because you want to stack up your money and right. like crazy then that's perfect that's true right I agree but with if that you are like I'm going there because I want to live you know a luxurious lifestyle mm-hmm. and blah, blah 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 and then you get there and you're like saving all the bots exactly counting counting bots i'm sorry like that's just i'm like and when people look at me and it's like because i get the whole rep too like tori's bougie and it's like mm-hmm. no i like what i like and like i'm not i'm not moving overseas or anywhere you know to like kind of just be having like i want i don't want to say mediocre because i don't want to make people seem right like i'm not trying not, to say that it's not mediocre it's but like, it's like a, a lesser quality than what they would likely accept in the state exactly is what it and what and and what and less than what they actually want because and exactly. realistically exactly. i know that the desire level isn't matching what they're actually living and, yeah and you know and and that's 
but something that I think, you know, people say, well, I'm, I'm working on healing because a lot of, of, mm-hmm. of black mm-hmm. expats come to places like Thailand and Bali and, and mm-hmm. you know, Vietnam because they're working on healing themselves yep. in, internally. And that's great. That is. And important. Mm-hmm. I personally couldn't heal in a space that I didn't feel comfortable in. And so for me, I'm like, that means I have to have lots of space. I have to have lots of windows. I have to have, you know, a certain quality of life. Um, And that's, that's important. But I think, you know, understanding before you make that move, understanding what is it that I desire? Yeah. And could I live how I desire overseas? Mm -hmm. And how much will that take? And then Uh, aiming for that number, instead of going from some arbitrary number of people saying, well, you can get an apartment for $150 a month. Yeah, you could. Right. And sometimes you really luck up and find a really nice place for $150. You do. You like do. somebody who maybe is renting for the first time, they don't know what they should charge. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, do your research. Mm-hmm. Understand how much it's really going to cost before you go on other people saying this is how much it's going to cost you. Right. Because you get there and it's almost like some people I've seen actually go for these lesser apartments because they came in with the mindset that they should only be paying $150 for an apartment. And it's like, but you can afford more. Yeah, but I have soda. I should only spend. It's like, no. Like, if you want to spend more, spend more. Right. Like, I spend $750, and I live in what everybody calls the suburbs, which is hilarious, because it's literally a five-minute drive from everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Not the suburbs. What are you talking about? Like, we're still in Chiang Mai proper. Yeah. I'm like a walk away from Maya Mall. Oh, nice. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, but they'll be like, "Oh, you're in the suburbs. You're so far out." I'm like, "Okay, right? Okay, sure. That's that's what you want to tell yourself. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, it's and it's about knowing what you like and knowing what you can tolerate and what you can't. And I don't, I don't live a life that I can tolerate. I live a life that I love. Yeah. And so I love that. Aim for that. Nice. What What other little tidbits do you live by? Like some of your mottos and things like that. You know, I think a big thing that I am a huge fan of is, you know, stay in your lane and don't tell people where you're going. Mm. Um, And I think a big problem in the, I would say the entrepreneur community, even in maybe the black community, Mm -hmm. um, especially the female community, is we want to tell everybody what we're doing, what we're about to do. Mm. I'm about to do this. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. How many friends do you have that have said... I'm going to move overseas or I'm working on doing this or I'm going to do that. And then it never actually comes to fruition. And you're just like, okay, so what happened? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if you don't tell anybody where you're going or what you're doing or what you're working on, mm-hmm. then you don't have to feel like you have to explain yourself all the time. That's a good point. Um, but then also, that's one of the secrets of how we've been able to build our businesses so rapidly. No one ever hears about what I'm doing in my businesses or what we're working on until it's already out there. Yeah. And, you know, that's an easy way for us to slide into industries without competitors even knowing we're there nice. until we've snatched up three of their clients. And they're like, wait, who, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> what company did you say? Right. Um, hey, where did they come exactly. from? Exactly. And um, I find that that's, that's really important just in life is just you know you don't have to tell everybody everything Mm -hmm. that's not a a requirement of life is telling everyone all your business and what you're working on or what you're doing if you want to move overseas make those plans silently you know move in silence um a big thing that one of my mentors always tells me is that you know money talks right so if you say that um in terms of you think of Poverty, money, and wealth, right? Mm -hmm. So he always says that poverty screams. 
money talks, wealth whispers. Ooh. And, right? That's a gem there. I like that. <laughs> that wealth whispers, because that is so true. Exactly. It's so true. And so I've always tried to operate, even, you know, even though I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as wealthy yet, because um, I think wealth is relative, but in my mm-hmm. mind, wealth is, you know, that generational layers. And we're building it, we're working on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I operate like wealth. I, I'm very quiet about what I do, what I'm working on. I literally roll into cities and people are like, I didn't even know you were coming. Yeah, I know. That was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel but you on that. I think there was, there was no need for anybody to I feel you. there. Um, and that's, that's important. Um, I think that also don't measure yourself by someone else's ruler, you know, stop trying to measure your success or where you are in life with someone else's, you know, success. I see that um, meme that's always going around of Jeff Bezos of Amazon Uh says, you know, uh, it's like him in 1994 and like this tiny office, like don't measure your chapter one against somebody else's chapter 20. I don't even think you should measure your chapter one against someone else's chapter one. Right. Because right. their background, their circumstances, you know, their their experiences, their education, it's all going to be different and it's going to create a different environment. I agree. Um, I think you should measure yourself against yourself. And yeah. Where you feel like you should be. Um, you know, for me, looking back and saying, okay, well, I was in foster care for, you know, a good four years of my life before I was adopted. And so... And before that was being raised by a drug addicted mother. And so when I look at that and I look at other people who have similar backgrounds and they're nowhere near where I am, uh-huh. they had other factors that kicked in, right? I was adopted, so I was pulled out of that environment. Yeah. Would I have made who, you know, myself into who I am if I had stayed in that environment? Maybe, possibly. Uh-huh. But I can't compare, you know, well, we came from the same place, so we should be able to be able to do the same things. You can't. That's true. It's just I agree not with realistic. That. And yeah. So, Stop measuring yourself against someone else's um, life and what they're doing or where they are, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what chapter they're on or you're on. You know, measure you by where you want to be and where you feel you should be. Right. And give yourself grace, especially yes. black women. Black women, we deserve grace. Oh, <laughs> that's so true. And you know what? I have to say, I do struggle with that. Mm-hmm. I definitely We're, struggle with me, that. Me too. I'm yeah. so hard on myself. Yeah. I'll be harder on... We have an advisory board, um, and I will... I made a decision that made us cash poor for a few months and it it really irritated me that I made that decision. Like mm. I I was mad at myself. Yeah. And I still struggle to like not be mad at myself for it. And it's long gone and past. And the yeah. advisory board is like, you really need to let this go. <laughs> like, please give yourself some grace. You need to let this go. Right. But for me, you know, it's like I should have been better. I should have known better. I should have done better. And that's a narrative I think that black women specifically have run through our mind all mm. the time mm-hmm. and that is something that we gotta let that go we do we, we just have to because it it tears us down internally for sure which makes it easier for the world to tear us down externally good point and so we have to remove that narrative that you know we should always have been the best of best of best and give ourselves some grace and some leniency and mm. understand we're humans and not robots yes i agree with that so like you're mentioning things like you have an advisory board and you have like all mm-hmm. these people working for you so in the beginning when you were starting 
Like if someone else was trying to build something right now, or they're trying to launch, or they want to start building that generational generational wealth, what are some of the key things that you had to put in place, like set up as a foundation first, or who were the type of mentors you needed, or the type of roles you needed to hire first? So this is going to be super controversial, and I know I'm going to get some hate mail from it, and that's okay because I am who I am. You need at least one old white dude as a mentor. Okay. It's not saying that's the only mentor that you need, but you need at least one old white dude who knows what he's talking about and has gamed the system. Every wealthy white man has gamed the system in some way. Mm. You need somebody who's willing to tell you how they game, how to game the, system the system yeah. so that you too can figure out how to find loopholes and grants. And I mean, the amount of grants that we found just from my mentor being like, oh yeah, you know you need to do this, right? Oh, you know you should do that, right? Like, mm. oh, if you change this person to this role, you know you could get a grant for this. And it's like, what? They don't teach nice. you this in college. No, they, like, don't. they don't. They don't teach you this in college. They don't teach you this in these entrepreneurship classes that people have. They're not teaching you any of that. Right. And so I think it's important that you have an older white man who knows what he's talking about in terms of business as a mentor. Um, but I also think it's important to find a mentor who has the trajectory of business that you want to go in uh-huh. as well. So if you want to open a chain of you know luxury resorts then saying, okay, well, I'm going to have a mentor who owns an online business isn't going to make sense. Right. Because they have totally different needs, totally different setups, costs. Mm. Um, So you really need to find someone who knows that industry. Right. And then also understand your mentors are only for a season. I have one mentor that has stayed with me throughout about throughout everything. But once I surpass certain levels, I surpass certain mentors. Yeah. And so... I oh, and they deep. understand that, like, okay, like, it's not like I'm like, okay, well, officially, you are like, no longer my mentor. Yeah. Like, I, the conversation isn't even needed. Yeah. It's just the types of questions that you start to ask them when they can no longer answer them. Yeah. You've now surpassed them. Right. Um, and it's okay. That's okay. You want to find another mentor who yeah. can help you get to where you want to go. Right. Um, and then I think also knowing what you're not good at. Mm. I'm terrible at sales. Like, oh, honey. <laughs> I am terrible at sale. I couldn't sell you like something that you were like, oh, I want some coconut water. I would struggle to sell you the coconut water that I had. Like, I just, I'm terrible at it. I don't like it. Um, and it's not that sales is bad because sales is necessary. Um, it's just personally, I'm just not great at sales mm-hmm. itself. Um, I, feel, I understand. The sales conversation. Now, if I'm just having a conversation with someone, I can persuade them like through psychology to get it. But the actual, like, oh, let me pitch it to you. Okay. I'm terrible at it. Um, gotcha. And that was the first thing that I recognized in my first company was I literally went to 13, 13 or 15 different pitch meetings and got no's, like, all around. No one signed on. And so I asked my friend to come with me. And I said, girl, I'm terrible at sales. You're really good at sales. Uh, she was working as a sales, a sales manager. And so she said, well, let me come and just see your pitch at your next meeting. And so I said, okay, great. So she came, I did it. And she's like, that was a really nice, nice presentation. And I was like, thank you. She said, except yeah, you never actually asked for the sale. Oh. And I said, what? And she's like, let me go back through this here and look at all these slides. Do you see anything that says, here's how you buy, here's the next step here. And I was right. like, well, I just thought if they wanted it, they would let me know. <laughs> she's like, what? No. <laughs> So she said, 
listen, you need sales help. And I couldn't afford to pay her at the time because mm-hmm. I wasn't making any money. I was living in my parents' basement, like making just enough to pay my bills from the bridal salon. Right. And so I said, can I put you on commission? Can you help me? And then whatever mm. you book, I'll give you 20% off. Mm. Now, Amber, who has now built multiple multi-million dollar companies, looks back and is like, what were you, 20%? Holy smokes. <laughs> Why did you come up with that number? I just thought it sounded like a number that would convince her. And it was. She convinced her. Yeah. Um, I would never give someone 20% of anything. <laughs> but... Uh, she came on and the very next client she closed and it was like a $75,000 client. Um, and then from there, she just was responsible for all of the pitches nice. and was bringing in the clients and we were keeping them happy and, you know, with our processes and our systems. If I had had too much pride to say to someone, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to sales, mm. I would not be where I am today. Right. You know, I would be back at corporate because that year would have expired and mm. I would have had to go back to corporate. Yeah. Um, but being vulnerable and saying, I don't know what I'm doing in this area is so important and getting the help that you need. And sometimes, especially at the beginning, the help that you need don't think, oh, well, I can't afford a team, so I can't afford to pay people, or I can't afford... There are so many other right. options out there. Yeah. You can get you somebody who knows what they're doing, and you can barter with them. Yeah. Or you can say, hey, I can pay you commission off of this. Or you can get yourself a team and build it from, like, the Philippines or Thailand. Yeah. And have them working, you know, outsourced. Right. So yeah. there's so many other yeah. options. Don't think that it's just because I'm a team of one or it's just me that I'm... I now can't make things happen the way I want them to because I don't know how to do video editing or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very true. Like, I've actually started to work with... I watched your course about this mm-hmm. where, like, building your team virtually using, like, Filipino job sites. And so now I have... Like, for like for this, I'm just going to type up my edits right. and send it. Pass it off. <laughs> because I'm not about to sit here and try to figure out how I'm going to match this and do this. And that's not... That's not the best use of my time exactly when i can like literally pay someone like ten dollars to just edit the podcast send it back make the sound sound spectacular match it how i needed to match add my music on it i don't know how to do all that i don't like i can figure it out but i don't want to the amount of time it would take you know people often ask well when's the right time to to get my first team member when you notice that the time that it takes Mm -hmm. you to do a specific task is worth more than the revenue it would generate. Right. You know, so when I started to notice that, okay, it's taking me five hours to edit this video, I bet you there's someone out there that it would take, like, 30 minutes to, like, it's like you're you're talking about a 15-minute video. It's taking me five hours to, like, let me get the title, and then why is it doing that? Why is that that box come from? No, it's frustrating. (laughs) It's It's also frustrating. frustrating. And then I kept thinking, like, in this four hours, I could have done consults. I could have had, Mm -hmm. you know, client meetings. Like, I could have made money for this video that's only being used for promotional purposes. I mean, yeah, in essence, it's indirectly bringing in money, but... I just wasted four hours doing it. Right, right. I feel you. When you hit that space, it's time. It's time. (laughs) It's time, girl. It is time. That's where I'm at right now. I was like, it's time to outsource things. It's time to find a mentor. And obviously, it's time for me to find an old white man, too. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Find you an old white man. Or if you're in Asia, find you an old Asian man. That's also very... That is... You know what? I As soon as you said that, I have someone in mind, actually. Yes. Find you wherever you are. Find you an old... Who's finessing the game. Finessing the game. Because realistically, the, these other 
like other groups of people outside of black community have learned how to finesse the game. They've totally learned it. That like let's They've just be totally real. And and <laughs> we see it and it part of it has to do with privilege. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We can't deny the privilege. And that's that's kind of why I say an old white man. Yeah. Because they have that privilege. That mindset. Yeah. We have creativity to know yes. and we have an abundance of creativity. Yep. So he can tell me how to game the system and I can look at it and be like, Yeah, I can't do that because I'm not an old white uh, Right, but I can be creative but with it. Mm-hmm. If you go in that meeting for me, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there are ways to finesse and work a system and you know, some of it may have involve swallowing your pride right you know how many times i've had to send in you know a a white counterpart of mine to a meeting and they do the pitch as opposed to me going in and doing the pitch and people be like well why would you want to work with a company like no let me let me pause it there i have 80 employees 80 full-time w2 yeah (laughs) we expect our benefits yeah yeah. employees i i cannot say to them well on principle I said no to that client because I didn't think they would work with a black person. No, we sent in the white dude because we knew that they would say yes to the white dude. We know our product is good. We know our product is strong. I'm not going to waste time or energy in trying to do the politics of that. Now, there are some times that absolutely I will go in and take a stand. So if I go in and pitch and they say no, and then I'm like, well, just to see, let me send in the white dude under a different company name. Mm. And then they say yes, then no, we're not taking that client. Like, you're flat out the reason that you said no is because right. it's a company. But I don't, I, I, I think a big issue of why some businesses, some minority-owned businesses don't work is because we take our pride with us everywhere we go mm. and we refuse to step back and say, okay, maybe this isn't the situation that I think it is. Oh, that's really, really We're deep. really quick to pull out our race card. And yes, absolutely. A lot of times, most times that is true, mm-hmm. but reassess the situation first. That's sure. You know, fully. That is very true. I, I have to so say. many hate emails from this. Like, no, no, because you know what? I have to say that that's very true for me too. It's like I'm always just like, nope, I'm black. I'm gonna. Right, I'm exactly. like, I'm going. I'm a black woman. I'm going in here like, but but realistically, it's like, if we just like no, like I'm just I'm playing at the level of everyone else. I'm about to finesse it how I need to finesse mm-hmm. it. I'm about to play the game how I need to play the game. Like. We would get much farther. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll tell you, one of our clients that we 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 didn't even I didn't even try to like have the meeting myself because I just had heard through people mm-hmm. like mm, girl don't they, even they ain't hired a minority in how long and we sent in one of our white sales guys he pitched it it was a beautiful pitch they accepted it we got to the first planning meeting and myself our project manager showed up. And um, our director of operations showed up, all minorities, all women. They were playing like, <laughs> and they were just like, oh, oh. And I will tell you, they have renewed every single year since. Beautiful. The third renewal that they've had. And this year, they said, can we renew for a three-year contract? Nice. Because they just loved what we did. Had I put my pride in and said, well, we're not even going to pitch because I'm not even going to, then we wouldn't have them. We wouldn't have that client. We wouldn't be working with them. And, and it would be a really huge loss, not just to us, but to the people that we service through them. Right. You know, so sometimes we got to like swallow our pride and not be so, you know, and that's not saying to just roll over. I want to make it very mm-hmm. clear. I'm not saying to accept, you know, racism or to accept an environment where, you know, they are clearly racist. That's not saying any of that, but that is saying understand and assess the situation properly. Remove your feelings from it, which is sometimes hard to do. Yeah. But take your feelings out of it. 
and look at it for what it is. Yeah, that's true. And and still go get that check. And still go get that money. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, realistically, <laughs> even though you finessed it that way where you sitting in your white right. counterpart, you that still getting a check. Right. Yeah. So it's like the long term, like what is the long term? Like, exactly. like, no, we, and, and realistically, I love seeing that a lot of black women are doing that now. Mm-hmm. Like black, black owned businesses, period. Absolutely. But like black women are like, we're, we're getting into that mindset of like, no, we're like, mm-hmm. I'm about to come in. I'm about to get this contract. I'm about to get this new business. I'm about to get like, build this community. And like, it doesn't matter what society is thinking. I'm not worried about all this politics of it. Like, of course it exists, but we have really started to kind of like break from some of those barriers and it's just been beautiful to watch. Absolutely. And you know, this is the black millennial. Mm -hmm. We are such an interesting, interesting group of people because our grandparents have been doing that for years. Yeah. True. When you look at like the, the Cadillac incidents, so when Cadillacs came out, they were really popular. Everybody loved them. But Cadillac dealerships would not sell to black people. They wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You could not walk into a Cadillac dealership as a black person and say, I'd like to buy a Cadillac. They'd be like, <laughs> you can have the cash on person. They'd be like, no, get out. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. So black men started to pay white men to go in to buy the Cadillac for them. So they've been finessing the system for decades, for yeah, years. I didn't so, even know that you know, scenario. For, for people, that's why Cadillacs are such a status symbol in the black yeah, community. Yeah, they are. Because my dad has always had a Cadillac. It was so hard to get. Uh-huh. You know, they were, like, if you could get one, that meant that you not only could afford it, but you could afford to pay a white man and convince that white man to go in and buy the Cadillac on your behalf. Mm, you know, so wow. that is like you know that's been a finesse of the system you learn how to finesse the system learn how to work the system to your favor yeah i agree with that i definitely agree with that nice this has been good i feel like we we could we could talk so much about this stuff like seriously it's been really great i feel like a lot of the stuff that we've dropped has been very motivational um for people who are looking to launch something, who are looking to travel more, who are looking to take that trip with their girls, you know, take your parents overseas or move. So this has been really beautiful. So, so, so many gems, you guys. Um, I know I definitely felt inspired, motivated, energized during our conversation. And we also had a workshop in Bangkok that Amber led, and that was also really great. Um, one of the things that really stuck with me from this conversation is do not live a life that you tolerate. Live a life that you love and not something that you're just tolerating. And that really sticks with me because even moving overseas to Thailand, I made that decision because I felt like I was just going through the motions and living a life that I tolerated. I had a good job, you know, I had friends and doing the things that we that we do every day um same stuff life was good it w- i didn't have a, a bad life or anything but it was just a life that i was tolerating and it really is up to us to make that decision on what is it that's going to make me happy what is it that i want to explore more what is it that i want to start doing and learning and then just go out and do it every little step counts i know that it's not easy i am not ever saying that it's easy but it is up to you to aim to live a life that you love 
it's your life. Every decision that we make, literally every single thing is in our control. If it's something that you can control, then make sure you're making the right decisions that feel right for you and that are gonna help you move to, towards your happiness, your success, your goals. We can do it, you guys. Like, there are literally no limits. <laughs> Seriously. And when you truly believe that and start saying it, you can definitely live a life that you love. So, go out there and do it, you guys. All right, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please share it. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you can continue to hear more stories like this and inspiration and different expat experiences happening all over the world with people out here killing it and doing dope things. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram at Ebony Expats. And if you have any questions or if you want to start conversation about anything that you have heard on the podcast, please, please, please hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. DM us, email us. We want to hear from you. I hope that this was inspiring. I hope that you are doing what you want to do in life. Keep killing it. Keep shining.